I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello again, my friend, and welcome in to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. I am Clint Davis. I talk movies and television from my closet in Columbus, Ohio, every month on this humble little program that we bring you. Uh, In just a little bit, we'll be hearing from my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak, who brings you his portion from his home studio up there in Cleveland. He's right by the water, man. Nice digs, nice setup. I got to get back up there and see him again. And, uh, you know, we're a little... A little tardy this time and it's completely my fault i gotta tell you i had this i was ready to go ready to roll ready to get this show in the can weeks ago and i made the decision to get my updated covid booster and also get my flu shot at the same time because it's like you know i'm busy all the time and why not i can i can take care of them both i'm in my prime right kicked my ass kicked my ass so uh i've been i like i was like dead for basically four or five days it felt like i mean just didn't have the didn't have what it would take to come in here and talk to you for an hour and a half about uh what's streaming right now in movies and television uh so i decided to you know just just put it off a little bit longer and and now here we are so at last uh, in the the tail end of the month, right before Halloween, it's uh, the October edition of the Stream Police podcast. Uh, I want to urge you to go over to uh, YouTube, find me there at Overdue Review. I want you to follow me on Instagram and TikTok if you have those as well. You can find me there at Mr. Clint Davis, and Andy is on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. His last name is S E D L A K, uh, and you can also find me on Letterboxd at Mr. Clint Davis as well, where you will find my list of movies that I recommend in each show. So every movie that I mention, even just in passing, um, I will put it into a list of movies mentioned, you know, for this episode. So you'll find like a, a list titled Stream Police Podcast October 2022 Recommendations or something to that effect. You'll find that there. And you'll also find our playlist, which Andy will be adding five more songs to, uh, over on Spotify, if you just search Stream Police Podcast, which you can find the show there, but you can also find the playlist that we've been adding songs to for years and years and years at this point. Um, 
I wanted to mention before we uh, get started, and, and Andy, by the way, in just a little bit, he's going to be uh, talking. He's going to be eulogizing. He's going to be putting on back his putting back on his favorite hat on this show, which is that of the uh, the mortician, and eulogizing. I think it's safe to say an icon. Uh, of 1990s music and a guy that really had maybe more of an impact than you would have imagined and uh, also a big one for both he and I because I think we bonded over the fact that he was kind of the first like legitimate hip-hop artist that we got into so we'll get to that in just a little bit uh, here on the Stream Police Podcast but first you gotta you gotta deal with me so I'm gonna be talking TV and I'm going to be talking later in the show about the best movie I watched in the last month. And also I'll give you recommendations on Netflix, on uh, Hulu, on Prime Video, and on HBO Max. Two movies each that you got to add to your queue. Um, before we get rolling, though, I want to tell a story real quick because I cannot believe I haven't told this one on this show. Because this happened like several years ago and it's right in the the niche of what we talk about here and the only reason i thought about this is because i've been seeing so many ads on tv for like betting apps and it's like almost disgusting at this point because of how you know puritanical everyone was about betting and sports and everything and now it's like the only ads you see when you watch sports are like ads for sports books and so many people have like sunk their life savings into betting. And now it's like so easy to do. You can just do it on an app. You don't even have to go to the CD part of town and talk to a bookmaker and get your, you know, get your numbers in and like, you know, and, and come up, come up with the cash or whatever. Like it's so easy. You can ruin your life and the life of your family basically so easily now. And they do it in such a fun way in the ads that it's just really gross. And I'm not somebody who's like against betting. Um, and I'm not somebody who, who never does it. I mean, I certainly do it from time to time. And I used to do it when you weren't really supposed to do it. So I get it. But like, it's so it's just gross. And it's such a dangerous thing to just have so easily people to be able to do it and it just they, the commercials make it look it's like joe camel being on cigarette ads man i mean it's just like they make it look like you can't lose and that is so not the truth of the matter at all so uh anyway been seeing a lot of these ads and some of those ads some of those apps like betting app ads have jamie fox in them so i've been seeing him all over the place and i've also been seeing jamie fox on these commercials like i've been watching the baseball playoffs a lot and Jamie Foxx is on all these ads for this show, like where they're selling, you know, rich people cars, basically, like million dollar rides or some shit is what the show's called. And it's on TNT or TBS, one of the Turner networks. And so Jamie Foxx is on those. So I keep seeing Jamie Foxx. And it reminds me of a great story of Andy and I trying to get onto the television show beat shazam which if you know anything about it is hosted by who else jamie fox so the show beat shazam is if you know the shazam app it's kind of a smart idea for a show and to tie it into the the app and all that stuff um the shazam app is the the app that you can pull out and have it listen to a song that's playing like if you're out in public or you're at a restaurant or whatever it'll listen to the song for a few seconds and then it'll tell you here's what the song is 
Um, so the show, obviously, the point is they play parts of a song and you have to beat Shazam in identifying the song. So Andy and I, big music nerds, both of us, um, both of us worked in TV. We're like, we could do this. So I auditioned us, or I actually wrote a, I wrote the show when they were having like open, uh, you know, casting calls long time ago. This was like before the show was on. It was like it was about to start or something, I think. And so I wrote on a whim and said, hey, buddy and I, we're recovering television reporters, um, you know, so we're comfortable being on camera. And we also like host a podcast about music because we were doing this show at that point. And, uh, and we, we talk about music on our show and, and among other things. And, you know, we both are just big music nerds. So we would love uh, the chance to go on the show, win some money and, uh, you know, have some fun. So we made it through the initial thing. Uh, and in that first step, I had to just send a little video of myself talking about like what about us, basically. And I was I just thought I'd never hear anything else about it. A couple months go by. I get a an email back from the show saying that they would love to have us audition uh, via, you know, Zoom or whatever. And this was way before covid. So it wasn't like we were you know, this was during that. It was just that was how they were doing this. Uh, instead of like flying us out to LA or something to do an audition. So anyway, we did an audition. We, we were supposed to do an audition over Zoom. And so I go up to Andy's house. He was living in Dayton at the time. I was living in Cincinnati. And we made a whole night of it. It was like, all right, you know, we'll have some drinks, have some fun. Uh, we'll go out and go out to eat and hang out and we'll do this audition uh, and see how it goes. And so we get set. We get everything set up for the audition. It was like a technical nightmare. Like we 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 had a hell of a time like getting the connection to be strong enough. We're like down in Andy's basement, probably the worst place to be for this kind of thing. And you know the producer on the other end, he's some LA guy. We could just tell he was, you know, not really interested in two hicks from the middle of Ohio trying to uh, fix their internet connection so that they could potentially be on this show and win some money from them. Anyway, we get it all sorted out. And we go through the audition. So basically he plays us some, like he plays us a few seconds of a song and we have to identify it different genres to see that if you know, we're not just like, we only know classic rock or some shit like, you know, different, different kinds of genres, different things, current, old, whatever. Um, and they want to see like our personalities as well and stuff like that. And that's that kind of thing is extremely awkward for me, just being the phoniness. And I think this was a thing that really when Andy and I both were in TV, it was something we would commiserate a lot about is just kind of the the you had to be a, a little phony just to do that job. And the people that do it and are good at it, they're good at that part of the job. And it's not to say they're bad people. Cause I met a lot of really good people when I was in TV, a lot of really genuinely nice people. Uh, but they are good at turning it on when they need to. And that's not really ever been my bag. I think Andy's better at that than I am. Um, but it's always kind of been, uh, it's been tough for me to not be genuinely interested or, or, or charismatic, um, it has to come from somewhere real, you know, it's hard for me to just turn it on. Maybe I come off the wrong way if I'm trying to do it that way. Anyway, so we do the audition. We nail every single song, like probably within f five seconds, we get every single one of them, right? I remember there was one and I don't remember which song it was. There was one that we kind of, it took us a little bit longer, but it was, it wasn't anything long. It was still like we would have probably beat Shazam on that one. So anyway, we nailed it. And we thought, you know, we're like giving each other high fives and we're like, 
you know, uh, like jumping into each other and stuff after we get them right. And we had had a couple beers and we were feeling loose after this. And so we just thought the audition, like we, we go out to eat after it's over and we're like, dude, we're going to be on beach Shazam. We're going to crush this show. We're going to win like $50,000 and you know, which is, you know, that's a ton of money, right? For knowing some songs, we're going to get to go to LA. We're going to hang out with Jamie Foxx. We're going to be on this show. It's going to be great. And then, you know, a couple months go by and we hear that we didn't get picked for beach Shazam. So it was just all really for nothing. We got ourselves very worked out up, but I will tell you, we, we came within a hair's breadth of uh, being on beach Shazam. And that would have been, how cool would that have been for this uh, humble little podcast? Maybe we could have gotten a little publicity out of the deal, but Jamie just, I don't know. He, we weren't quite cut out to be standing on the stage next to Jamie. Uh, maybe they thought, you know, we like, this sounds like a shitty thing to say, but maybe we were too good at the game and it's like that there's no drama in that really. And I'm not saying that we would have gone on there and sweat because it's a different deal when you're up on the stage, you're under the lights, you're in the room with people, but we were also too like, Maybe we were annoying white guys, and that's not really what they were looking for on that show. So, you know, we've had, we've seen a lot of annoying white guys on game shows over the years, and maybe they were trying to find something else. So, whatever. Every time I see a commercial for Beach Shazam or I see Jamie Foxx on anything, a little part of me gets sad and a little angry as well because I just think about what could have been. Like, I could have put my son through college by knowing a few songs and knowing, like, a couple Journey tunes and getting through Beach Shazam. And then I would watch the show on TV and it was like it it was like easy. It was like how Rock and Roll Jeopardy used to be. I remember watching reruns of that on VH1 and it was like every I knew every answer. It was and I was like 11. I'm like this show's so easy. Like how do they even do this? But what could you expect from a show that was hosted by Mark McGrath, I think was who hosted that show, right? So anyway, uh that's our story of almost being on beach Shazam, Andy and I, and uh, I would love to hear his recollections of that. Maybe the next time we come on, uh, for our next show. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Let me go ahead and light my stogie here. That's what I always like to do. I'm sitting in my closet in Columbus. Like I said, I'm breaking every fire code known to man just so I can set the mood for you and for I. All right. Now we're good to go. All right, let's open the uh, let, let's open the doors again to the Hall of Fame, the TV theme song Hall of Fame, and pick another selection for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Our seventy eighth entry into the Hall, and I gotta say, October every year when it rolls around, it's my favorite month to do this segment because every year going back, I don't know how many years it's been now for the last five years, I think I have picked like what I consider to be a scary song for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. So we've had songs like the unsolved mysteries theme. We've had the goosebumps theme. Uh, we've had, uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents just to name a few of the scary, spooky openers that we've featured on this segment during the month of October. So I'm going to add another one to that list of not only the greatest TV show theme song of all time, but the scariest TV show theme song of all time this week. So for our spooky season this year, we're going to recognize a show that might have the most recognizable theme song on TV today. 
And yet, I would say it's not even really a song. It's more like a passage, a motif, if you will. But it really, to me, ticks all the boxes for what it takes to be a great TV show theme song because it nails the atmosphere of the show. All right, the tone of the show nails that. It catches your attention, and it is very memorable. Those are three of the most important things I think a TV show theme song can do, and they have to do those things if they want to be featured in this segment. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the theme from Netflix's runaway hit, Stranger Things, which is about as eerie as they come. I've been wanting to feature the theme song from Stranger Things since the first time I heard it uh, when I first watched the show back in 2016. Uh, it just really caught my ear, I guess. And I was like, wow, this is I mean, I felt like the show was going to be great just from that. It just felt like a show that knew where it wanted to go. And the theme from Stranger Things was co-written by a couple of guys named Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein, who are in a band together called Survive. It's a band based in Austin, Texas. They're like an electronic synth-pop band. And the Duffer Brothers, the guys who created Stranger Things, have been apparently big fans of Survive's going back for a while, and they thought that their kind of dark, synthy music would be perfect for this show since it's so awash in the 1980s, back when the synth really came alive as a mainstream instrument and was just inescapable at that point in popular music. Dixon and Stein co-wrote the piece that would become the theme song for Stranger Things, and it actually earned them an Emmy Award in the category of Outstanding Original Main Title Theme Music in 2017. That year, it beat HBO's Westworld for the award, uh, and that was that's a pretty memorable theme song of its own, uh, and also much longer. The theme song from Westworld, I, I always felt like it was like five minutes long. It just felt like so, like you could get up and go to the bathroom and fix yourself a meal by the time that thing was over. Um, and versus that, the Stranger Thing, Things theme song is so slim and just straight to the point, really. And it, actually, I thought this was interesting. It was the second of three consecutive years that Netflix would win the Emmy for best or you know main title music. Um, and it was a streak that included Jessica Jones and the show Godless as well. Stranger Things needs nothing more said about it. I mean, at this point, what else could be said? Uh, but I remember the first time I watched the show, like I said, just being totally sucked in by the theme and the style of the opening titles, which are now iconic in their own right. And it was just, to me, an example of a show that right away knew what it wanted to be, how it wanted to be seen, what kind of story it wanted to tell, and the way it wanted to tell that story. And as a result, they have never altered the theme song or the titles a bit in the six years since it debuted, and the show became a cultural force. And that, to me, says a lot, because a lot of shows change their title a little bit over the years, change their way they're opening, you know, 
the opening titles look and the way the song even sounds in some cases, this show hasn't touched it, hasn't strayed away, and why would it? theme from Stranger Things, uh, written by Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein of the band Survive, is irreplaceable, and it is our pick for the greatest and spookiest TV show theme song of all time this week. a really cool song right all right and speaking of shows that have great theme songs even though it's a recycled theme song which i i I went over last month my problems with that let's talk about hbo's uh, house of the dragon which has really been kind of the runaway hit of the last few weeks of television and now it has finally wrapped its first season on HBO and it's streaming now on HBO Max in its entirety that first season is and it is the prequel to Game of Thrones and this show I kind of um, I don't I don't think I really ripped it last month I just told you that I thought uh, the, the reasons why it doesn't quite live up to those early seasons of Game of Thrones to me and I'm standing by that and also uh, that I find it a chore to watch compared to Amazon uh, Prime Video's Lord of the Rings series, The Rings of Power, which I, I find a lot more enjoyable watch if I'm having to compare the two fantasy shows against each other. It seems like everybody wants to compare them, even though really they're not alike at all. I mean, obviously they're in totally different universes. They're totally different styles of of storytelling. I mean, one is really all about politics, all about uh, power and, you know, those trying to get power, those trying to keep power, why they would do it. It's all about that kind of stuff. It's character study central in House of the Dragon. And Rings of Power is much more plot motivated. Um, It is much more wide open of a show versus House of the Dragon, much more cloistered, a lot more claustrophobic. Um, And it's Ultimately, Rings of Power is a lot more hopeful show, whereas House of the Dragon just feels like it's not headed anywhere good at all. It's just a much it's everything is bad, basically, in House of the Dragon. And that's what I wanted to continue to talk about, because now that I'm finished with the first season of the show, none of that improved for me. And but what I did realize and one thing I think actually did get better as House of the Dragon went on, I really do like the adult actors and not that the the actors who played um you know Alicent and and Rhaenyra in the first few episodes of the show weren't women because actually they were they were like full grown they're like 20 year old women they weren't actually teenagers um but i i feel like who they got to play uh Rhaenyra and Alicent as now they are in their 30s um and I'm not even sure how old they're supposed to be. I find the the casting to be so bizarre in this show with the ages of the characters. I have no clue how old anyone 
is supposed to be or why some characters have changed character, like have changed actors multiple times in the span of what's supposed to be like 10 years. Whereas other actors have barely like their faces haven't changed at all, let alone actors changing. It's just really the way that they seem to think that uh, people age on this show, especially women age on this show is bizarre. But then there are other characters who just don't age at all. Like they don't look like any time has passed. They've just been kept in cryogenic freezing this entire time while all this strife is happening. And it's a period where people don't really live to be very old to begin with. So people should be aging more rapidly uh, visibly than they do uh, on this show. So that's a weird thing. It's a common complaint about the show. I find it hard to connect with characters when I don't even know like if I can remember who they are because the actor has changed so many times and you know is it going to be this am I ever going to see this actor again are they going to change again on me next week and you know I get it they do they have a lot of ground to cover but it's just it it's a lot it's a big leap to ask us to take with you in this in such a short span 10 episodes um and the episodes aren't even really all that long and they don't have all that many scenes in them. The scenes are long in this, just like they were in Game of Thrones. That was always a classic thing with Game of Thrones. Like you might only get to see each character once in the span of an hour long episode of Game of Thrones because there was just too much ground to cover. The scenes were very long. There's a ton of dialogue in every episode of that show, especially in the early years. And House of the Dragons the same way. Realize heavily on dialogue, which is one of the things I really like about the show. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of dialogue, heavy work always have been. I love to hear good writing. I love to hear great actors say good dialogue. Um, and I think the actors in game of Thrones or in house of the dragon, I'm sorry, really are, um, very strong. I've been really, really impressed. And I think Emma Darcy, especially who plays Rhaenyra, uh, in the last few episodes of the show, they have just been tremendous in this role. And it's such a powerful look uh, that they've got when the armor's on. And then in the later in the in the final episode of the season, when the crown's on and everything, it's just like Rhaenyra really does come into her own as a character who is, um, you know, somebody to be feared, um, but also not somebody who who has all the worst ambitions of most of the leaders in the Game of Thrones universe. So, uh, like I said, acting, very good. I have been thrilled with the acting all the way through with this show. It does get a little bit hammy, and here's one of my other big problems with House of the Dragon. This show is such a soap opera. Like, there's nothing wrong with a good soap opera, but people need to stop acting like that's not what it is because this has got to be the soapiest show that HBO has ever done the penultimate or not the penultimate the episode before the penultimate episode of this season the episode when Viserys is you know when the whole family's gathered around the table and everything like that just felt like something that would have come off of daytime tv because it was so like just juicy with all the character um, relationships and you know, the one guy trying to hold on for dear life to his entire family and everyone's wanting to backstab everybody and nobody can wait until the guy dies so that they can just go ahead and act on their worst impulses. It all is just like you're only watching to see all this juicy stuff. And it just is it is such a soap opera at the end of the day, because there's not a lot of big 
set pieces and you just don't feel like a whole lot is at stake for a lot of people other than these few characters that we've got. Like we, when we spend time with the common people of Westeros, it doesn't feel like this, like it really matters to them at all. Who's on the iron throne. I mean, they've got their own shit to worry about. And, that's, you know, one of the things that it does make this whole, like, the whole struggle so silly. Because what, at the, in the end, what does it really matter? You know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Uh, and and that is something to keep in mind as you watch House of the Dragon. And I, I feel like it's kind of always been the tone of Game of Thrones up until that final season, that disastrous final season of the show when it did become something that was trying to be a little bit more aspirational maybe. And it felt so disjointed, especially that last episode. Who's got a better story than Bran the Broken? I mean, what a dumb line coming from the dumbest character. Like to say that, like a character who would have laughed at a line like that in the earlier seasons of the show. And and the answer to this question is literally anybody in that room has a better story than this guy. So anyway, I don't want to get into the shitting on Game of Thrones again. It's been done to death, but... House of the Dragon is just soap central and it is such a slog to get through because everybody is just miserable. Like it's just a show full of miserable pricks, right? Like nobody really even wants the Iron Throne. You get the sense nobody knows what they would even do with it. Uh, but they all like just need it for some reason. And it, it's just the classic thing about power and everyone trying to fight for power. And But I'm just I'm having a hard time keeping track of the characters because we got the changing actors. We got the names, the bizarre names. They never, that never helps me. And the names are so similar to each other. It's like, who can remember who anybody is? I remember their face. I'm like, Oh, that's that guy. And I'll remember their hair, but it's hard to remember the names. Honestly, outside of like the three uh, outside of like Damon, Allison and Renera, it's hard for me to remember almost any character's names on this show um, because they are bizarre and so many of them are so similar to the other. And that was a problem for me with game of Thrones as well. It was like, how who, who can keep track of all these character names? The low lighting is making it, you know, just hard to see what's going on most of the time. And so many of the characters look identical to one another. And that's another thing because they're all like related to each other in this show that it's, it's hard. Like nobody has, come out really with their own unique personality that makes them a character that I want to watch. I mean, there are characters who are unique in different ways, but it's like still characters I don't want to watch because they're just nasty bastards. And it's like, you know, the dude with the eye patch, like he's a dick. He's always got this stupid look on his face with his pursed lips. And he's just, he looks like a dandy rich kid walking around at fashion week or something with a new pair of leather boots on. I mean, he just, he's, he's annoying in every way, but you know, I mean, he does have that going for him. So I want to watch him get flayed or eaten or something like that. So I can look forward to that. But I mean, that's the reason I'm like wanting to keep watching it is I want to watch these characters die. I'm just like, I want to see how they get their doom. It's not because I want to see anybody succeed necessarily. I just kind of want to see them be killed. I will say that in the final episode of the season, they finally did make a case for you pulling for one side in this coming civil war that's going to be happening between these two families at the center of the whole thing, the Hightowers um, 
and the Targaryens, really, and uh, the blacks and the greens, if you will. And it's, but I, but I don't think they did a good job of giving you a case for each side. Like it's a one-sided thing. Once you're finished with this season, like I don't know how you could be rooting for the greens at all. Like unless you just want to see the bad guys win, because there really has not been a good case for them. Like it made at all. There hasn't even been a. a um, a prayer of a good case made like a whisper of a good case. It's just been all, you know, very flimsy and they're all just a bunch of dickheads and they don't have any of the good characters on their side. It's just all the bad guys versus who we're supposed to be thinking of the good guys, but they don't even seem that good either. So it's hard. It's hard. What I miss is I miss the mirth. I miss the sense of mischief that was always present in game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination, but it was very funny. And it had a lot of funny characters who just would drop great lines at perfect times and had such ridiculous, violent situations in cases. But everything was kind of done with a wink um, in Game of Thrones, at least at its peak. I always felt like it was. And that was really until the White Walkers became involved and there was nothing funny about them. It was all serious. There's no mirth with zombies. Uh, you know, they can't make jokes. And so that was when the show really started to bore me a lot. And this is almost like there are no zombies in the show, but they might as well be because nobody in this show has a sense of humor. Um, I just, it's shocking me that I have zero desire to watch back to back episodes of this show. Like I'm not ready to give up on it. And Beth has said several times, because I keep complaining about it, she's like, well, we can just stop watching it. Like, we, you don't have to watch it, obviously. But I'm like, I don't want to stop watching it. I do want to see this, because I do think it is high-level TV. I do think it's very well acted. I, I think it looks great when you can see it. And I, I want to see kind of, you know, what uh, awaits all of these characters in the end. Um but I have no desire to watch back-to-back episodes ever, which is all I wanted to do with the first few seasons of Game of Thrones. It was like a, the most bingeable, like it was such an addictive show to watch. You just wanted to see where the story was going to go. But this show, House of the Dragon, no way, not bingeable at all. It's too grim. Um, it's just like tragedy after tragedy. Everything is so dark. Nothing's funny. There's just no one that makes me want to keep watching for hours on end of this show. Like one episode is plenty for me for a week. So the fact that they're taking two years off, like, okay, that's fine. I need a breather because this show, everyone is just a miserable prick. Like I've said on this show. And I mean, miserable, like they are all, they all seem miserable. Nobody really wants to throw. Nobody would really benefit it from benefit from it all that much. And the show, you know, kills off really the character that, um, you know, was like had something about him that made me feel good about the show. They kill him off, you know, toward the end of the first season. And there was like nobody else left to step up and fill the void uh, left by him. So it, it was just, and, and, and then what really killed me was that the event that really kicked off a civil war in this show and the ruin of a dynasty can all be chalked up to a miscommunication on someone's deathbed. It was the, the old worn out bad plot device of one character talking about something and another character hearing something else and thinking they're talking about something else. It's the same plot device that's been used in a million cheesy CBS sitcoms to make something wacky happen in the end of the episode when everyone realizes oh this was what you were talking about i thought you said this 
But here it's not funny at all. It's deadly serious. And it has consequences of like everyone dying because of it. So, oh, that really, I was like yelling at the TV. I'm like, no, it cannot. You're not serious. It's a, it's a miscommunication is what all the impetus of all of this, all this misery, a miscommunication is what it's going to be chalked up to here. Somebody heard something the wrong way on a guy's deathbed. That is weak storytelling. It's such a lame plot device. I couldn't believe they did it, but hey, here we are. It's a hot show. I'm still going to be watching it in a couple years when they finally come back, but uh, man, that first season, not a whole lot to feel good about uh, when it was all said and done. We just, we need a character we need a Tyrion. I mean, that was really that there was a reason why Tyrion was like the guy like you see so many of his lines still quoted by people. And, you know, you hear people talking about uh, Tyrion as really the heart and soul of, of Game of Thrones and why the show was so good. And there's a lot to be said about that because he was he was a breakout character because he was so enjoyable to spend time with. And it wasn't just because he was funny. It was because he was great at playing the Game of Thrones. He was smart, uh, but he had a heart. He had a great storyline and uh, backstory. And, you know, you could just see really every reason why he did everything up until delivering that horrible line in the final season. Um, this show does not have a character like that. So I hope that is coming down the pike. And, I, you know, I don't want it to be just the exact same as Game of Thrones, but we need someone like that to tune in every week to hear the wit and wisdom and see somebody who actually enjoys a little bit of life because everybody in this show is just so goddamn miserable. And I don't understand why. It's like peace in the kingdom up to this point. So why is everyone so... Such sad sacks all the time walking around. I don't know. I don't get it. But that's uh, the House of the Dragon. The first season is wrapped. And it's on HBO Max streaming for you every episode if you want to check it out. What have you thought of the show so far? Are you a big fan? Are you are you feeling like I am? Are you kind of reluctantly watching, kind of hate watching just because you want to see the characters die? Because that's really where I am. At this point, I would not call it my favorite show on TV, but am I going to stop watching it? Absolutely not. And that's all HBO cares about at the end of the day. All right. I'm going to pass things on to my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak. We'll see what he's got going on. Like I said, land arrest, an icon of a genre that we both know and love. And when I come back on the other side, I'm going to tell you my thoughts on Netflix's blockbuster series, The Sandman. And I'm also going to talk about the best movie I watched this month and give you some recommendations now streaming on Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, and HBO Max. All right, take it away, Andy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That's Coolio, Fantastic Voyage. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to say that it's good to see you. Not see you, you know what I mean. I was absent last month due to uh, illness. I had a cold put me on my back for like an entire week. I was pathetic. Just pathetic. Achy, sore, not sleeping. Nothing tasted good. Yeah, I was tested for COVID, came back negative, uh, but but whatever it was, beat me up pretty bad, and uh, I'm glad I'm out of the woods. Hey, look, if you haven't already, why not take a minute to rate and review us? Every little bit helps. We aren't uh, paid for this, even though ads pop up in our shows, we don't earn commission like unless we reach a certain number of plays. Uh, so you, my friend, are helping us get there as we speak, just by listening. But if you were able to rate and review on top of it, uh, well, now we're talking. Now we're, we're making some headway. My name is Andy Sedlak. I oversee the music department here at, uh, the Stream Police Station. And yeah, you know, I want to talk about Coolio. Coolio. He died in late September. Still a young man, 59 years old, not quite 60. He was at a house, went into the bathroom, and never came out. A sad ending for a very talented guy. Sad news in the entertainment world. We have just learned Grammy-winning rapper Coolio has died. TMZ is reporting the rapper, whose real name is artist Leon Ivey Jr., died at his friend's home in Los Angeles. Artist Leon Ivey Jr., born and raised in Compton. And the West Coast vibe is, is everywhere on his early records. Uh, I sneak up on it like a cheetah. And get a call of the wild when I greet it. The Gucci leader, been on over and touch your toes. And I can jump up on a dresser and strike a pose. Uh, if you're willing and you're ready and you're able, girl. Pull up your skirt and we can do it on the pool table. Your nipples look so tender. Can I twirl them on my mouth like a blender? So Cause ain't nothing but freaking. I can keep it all wet all weekend. And have you tweaking. I'll be stroking. That's what I be doing. And every position you assuming. Uh, all night, all day. If you say, I can rub you the right way. In my mind, what set Coolio apart was that you could hear every word that he rapped. They talk about mumble rappers now. Coolio was anything but. Coolio was clear. He was clear. You could understand every word. You could follow his flow. And that was... Just God-given talent. And it wasn't it wasn't like 
he raps slow. Like like Run DMC is is crystal clear with their rhymes, but that's because of their cadence. Coolio rapped fast, uh, but he pronounced every word with emphasis. He knew where to place that emphasis. His diction was amazing. He was just a talented MC. As much as I love Public Enemy, there are stretches where I lose Chuck D. Like I and I love Eminem, but there are stretches, especially on his newer stuff, where he he loses me between the speed and the in the the references and uh, the puns. It comes so fast; it can be disorienting, which is the point. But Coolio kept your ears engaged. His diction was amazing. Let's start at the top. The big hit, of course, was Gangsta's Paradise. It's one of the handful of times in the past maybe 30 years where a major hit single is also an artistic masterpiece. This song is dark. This song is urgent. It is cautionary. The song, Gangster's Paradise, ties together two staples of black culture. The urban experience and gospel music. The song begins by echoing Psalms 23.4. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. The chorus is pure gospel, sung by the artist LV, Large Variety. You could argue a more succinct, transformative statement about the pitfalls of the inner city has yet to be released. Gangsta's Paradise reached number one in the United States in 1995. It hit number one in 23 other countries. The baddest verse is the third. It's the last verse in the song. Power and the money, money and the power, minute after minute, hour after hour, everybody's running, but half of them ain't looking, it's going on in the kitchen, but I don't know what's cooking, they say I got to learn, but nobody's here to teach me, if they can't understand it, how can they reach me, I guess they can't, I guess they won't, I guess they front, that's why I know my life is out of luck, fool. (laughs) 
The video for the song was directed by Antoine Fuqua, who's gone on to be a major force in Hollywood. He directed Training Day and also the Equalizer movies with Denzel. He did Olympus Has Fallen. He did Bullet Train, which just came out. Brad Pitt's in that. Gangster's Paradise itself was, of course, featured in a movie. Dangerous Minds, starring Michelle Pfeiffer. Quick side note, Michelle Pfeiffer, one of the first crushes I ever had. And, and you know, despite his reputation for party anthems, and Coolio has quite a few of them, he has a surprising amount of topical material, thought-provoking material. Aside from Gangster's Paradise, there was See You When You Get There, released in the summer of 1997. Places and faces and things you ain't never thought about thinking. If you ain't peeped, then you must be drinking and smoking. Pretending that you're looking, but you're broken. Let me get you open. Now, little Timmy got his diploma, and little Jimmy got life. And Tamika around the corner just took her person off the pipe. The other homie shot the other homie and ran off with his money. And when the other homies heard about it, they thought that it was funny. But who's the dummy? Cause now you done lost a hustler. A down ass brother done been replaced by a buster. And though I got love for you, I know I can't trust you. Cause my crew is rolling homers and your crew is rolling dusters. And just because of that, you act like you don't like a brother no more. I guess that's just the way it go. I ain't trying to preach. I believe I can reach, but your mind ain't prepared. I see you when you get there. See you when you get there. Got to number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. I see you when you get there. Sadly, it would be the last hit of his career. But damn, damn, one, two, three, four, fantastic voyage, rolling with my homies, all great. If, if, if you wanted to, if you had to, if you're just one of these people that has to be critical, that has to find the, the, the crack in the statue, the smudge in the painting, if you had to be critical, you could say that Coolio relied a little too much on his source material. Sampling is one thing, but if you wanted to wag a finger, you could argue that the hooks in his songs were copied wholesale. For instance, here is Pastime Paradise, a Stevie Wonder song that came out in 1976 and was sampled in Gangster's Paradise. Then there's Cruisin', which was taken from a Smokey Robinson song. 
I'll play Coolio's song and then Smokey's. The cruise till we can't. You got the drink, I got the drink, and we done stopped at the bank. Sun beaming, it's weakened. And here's a song called The Winner, which uh, borrows. From the theme song of the Jeffersons TV show. Sampling is done all the time in rap. That's how beats are made. But your best producers take a little from here, a little from there. Copying and pasting, well, that's another thing. But again, that that's only if you want to be critical. I don't. I think he stayed on the right side of that line. I'm just trying to paint you a full picture. Did you know that Coolio's career stretched back to the 1980s, the early days of hip-hop? Here's one of his first singles. It's called County Line. I walk through the front door, fill out my app. Here comes another stop, asking if I rap. I don't say a word, because he knows that I do. I'm down with the mad ass, you know who. I take a number and a seat. I'm sweaty from the heat. Somebody got their shoes off. I smell their feet. My number is 80. This girl's no 20. I look up at the clock, and now it's 1030. butter and cheese. Oh, please. Oh, please. Can I get my food stamp so I can leave? I got money and a car, but they won't know what. County Line, one of Coolio's first singles. And here is his last single. This is called Change. It was released in 2009. My soul is still scarred. When darkness falls across my face, sweat, hope, and tears upon my face. It's times like this that I came to race. The thoughts of being whipped, chain, hanged, and made. So I try to accept the highs and feel the base. With concepts and dreams of a different place. And with all the lies in life that I was taught. And all the good things that I forgot. The colder than the avid, bite the pussy like a savage. Get an iron tight grip on all my bad habits. Sometimes I face to the fiend, sometimes I laugh at it. Get beat on the crotch and take a stab. Automatic with my static, no need to be graphic. Step to be in mind and you gon' see action. Cause you don't even know what it is to cheat. To see the end of an age and a history. Julio released eight albums in his lifetime. None of them have charted since 
1997. Did you know Coolio was enlisted in July of 2008 as a spokesperson by the group Environmental Justice and Climate Change? The job was to educate students at historically black colleges and universities about global warming. Did you know Coolio was the running mate for porn actor Sherry DeVille's Democratic presidential run in 2020? Did you hear about that? Did you know that Coolio has six children? And did you know that Coolio contributed the theme song to the show, Keenan and Kel on Nickelodeon? Clint, where's this one on your list, Bob? Oh, here it goes. Everybody out there, go run and tell your homeboys and homegirls it's time for Keenan and Kel. To keep you laughing in the afternoon, so don't touch that dial on read the room. Cause they always in the sun, no fronting and you don't want to miss it. It's double K like to the good way, yes. Keenan and Kel, I should have said Kel and Keenan, and you gotta watch Keenan cause Keenan be scheming with a plan or a plot. And do we have to talk about Weird Al? Weird Al Yankovic, of course, parodied Gangster's Paradise with Amish Paradise. Coolio's record company okayed it. Coolio did not. He had no knowledge that it was approved for parody. Famously, Coolio was somewhat prickly when asked about this. Comedy musician Weird Al Yankovic released Amish Paradise in March 1996. Even though Weird Al had received the go-ahead from the label, he didn't ask Coolio directly for permission to use the song, and Coolio was not happy about it. A beef of sorts ensued between the two recording artists for many years that Coolio later regretted after realizing that he was being too high on himself when Michael Jackson didn't have a problem with Weird Al covering his hits, Beat It, and Bad. It made him look like he couldn't take a joke. Uh, after this, his, his popularity plummeted. And now, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it really seems like Coolio is most known for not being able to take a joke and for the fact that Rolling With My Homies is featured in the movie Clueless. Yeah. You know what I mean. Oh, God. What's wrong, Ty? They're playing our song. The one that Alan and I danced to. Rolling with homies. Oh, Ty. But I hope that at least some people remember him as one of the cleanest rappers who ever lived. And I don't mean clean like like his content. He swore all the time. I mean his technique was clean, sophisticated, yet straightforward, clear. That always impressed me. Always impressed me. Coolio, rest in peace. Education. I live my life by the code of the front six hundred watt eighteens in the truck. 
All right, friends, you know that we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. You can find it and enjoy it on Spotify. All you have to do is search Stream Police. Every month we add five more songs. This is a living document after all. Five more songs and, well, let's uh, let's get this underway, okay? First this month, it is, well, who else? It's Coolio and his song, A Thing Going On. This is from Gangsta's Paradise, the album released in 1995. It is about an affair with a married woman. We meet every single day at the same old place, at the same old time, with the same state of mind. Me and her together, but we know it ain't forever. We just happy for the time, the weed and the wine. The walks in the park, escapades in the dark. We knew how it had to be right from the very start. Cause I got obligations and she's in a situation that she can't escape. So this is our fate. Holding hands, a smile, a glance, a kiss and a dance. But we can't take a chance on getting caught. So we stick to a plan cause we both got another and they wouldn't understand. Me and Mrs. Jones got a thing going on. I wouldn't call it love, but it's damn so strong. It ain't about doing dirt or living like a flirt. But what they don't know, don't do. Me and Mrs. Jones. Yeah, That's right. Mrs. 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 Second, this is Fight Fire with Fire by Metallica. That Old Man of Mine by Vince Gill. Man, the meanest bastard I'd ever seen was that old man of mine. The back of his hand in a little gym bean kept us all in line. My poor mama lived in fear damn near all the time. The Lord says we all got across the back that old man was mine It didn't take much to piss him off He'd be on the tear Still haunted by the bruises We all had to wear Late one evening on a cold dark night I heard my mama cry 
Next, it's Katy Perry in Swish Swish. Your game is tired. You should retire. Your bed is cute as an old coupon expired. And karma's not a liar. She keeps receipts. So keep calm, honey. I'm a stick around for more than a month. You didn't expect Katy Perry to show up on this, did you? Okay. Uh, finally, for our, our final selection, I give you Cold Irons Bound by Mr. Bob Dylan. But this is not the studio version. This is from the Telltale Signs box set live at Bonnaroo in 2004. I'm beginning to hear voices. There's no one around. I'm all used up. I went to church on Sunday And she passed by My love for her Taking such a long time to I'm wasting In the mist It's almost like I Don't even exist I'm 20 miles out of town I I think I I need to hear a little more of that. I need to hear a little more of that. Bob Dylan, Cold Irons Bound, live in 2004. To feel your heart thrown away. I look at you and I'm out of control. Like the universe has swallowed me home. I'm 20 miles out of town in a That's it. That's that's all I can give you. I, I I'm still recovering. <laughs> Rest in peace, Coolio. He had a nice. He had a good catalog. Those first few albums were. If you like old school hip hop, dig those up. 
All right. Back to Clint. See ya. Rest in peace, Coolio, a master. I, it, it seemed like, you know, as I got older, I realized that Coolio was such a student of music. I mean, the guy was just a master sampler. And obviously, you know, I mean, a lot of that credit goes to his producers he worked with. But, I mean, he's he's hiring them. He's, he's picking these tracks. And, you know, they're inspiring him in some way. And uh, I loved, you know, all the hat tipping that he did to all those Dayton funk groups, Lakeside especially, and uh, it's all the way live. Honestly, it might be my favorite Coolio song, and it features Lakeside so heavily. I just that song, I love it from the Eddie soundtrack with uh, Whoopi Goldberg back in the day. There's a throwback for you, but uh, how about that Coolio, Metallica, two artists from my childhood, Vince Gill. You could throw him in there as well, and then we got Bob Dylan and Katy Perry. What a duo! Uh, that I never expected to hear on uh, this uh, on this segment from our good friend Andy. So thank you very much, my friend. Always good to have you back on the show. You can find him again on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. You can reach out to him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. All right, let's get back to uh, talking about the tube here. Um, I wanted to bring up Netflix's adaptation of uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, which is just, uh, I've been getting through here. It's taken me a little bit to get through it. This has, again, not been a very bingy show for me just because it's heavier subject matter also. Uh, there, There are more episodes of it too, and this story really takes a lot of twists and turns, but it's not been because I have not been enjoying it because I gotta tell you, I have been really enjoying Netflix's The Sandman. I'm almost completely done with the first season, and I'm somebody who I have a little familiarity with the books, so I've got a little bit of knowledge on the source material, but as I've told you before, comparing the source material to the show, if those are where your criticisms come from, then you're being a lazy critic because if they're different mediums, they should be different. And so I'm not going to sit here and and pointedly, you know, point out the things that are different because there are plenty of things that are different here from the graphic novels, comic series, uh, versus what we're seeing on screen and net on Netflix. And, and a lot of it has to do with how many decades have gone between when Gaiman first wrote those comics, uh, to now what we're seeing on screen. But, uh, the, the tone, the character, um, the vibe is 100% there reflected on the screen. And I think this Netflix adaptation, which has been brought to life by David S. Goyer, who is one of those guys that is, you know, he's pretty brilliant when it comes to writing these kind of epic, spectacular character pieces. Um, you know, you think of his movie work, especially Dark City, which is a cult favorite for a reason. The Blade trilogy, he did all those. He wrote them. He wrote the entire Dark Knight trilogy. Um Although I will forgive him for also writing Batman versus Superman because, I mean, let's face it, that movie was god-awful. And Goyer is one of the reasons why. I mean, he was he wrote the script. But uh, when his name is on something, you know it's at least not going to bore you. And I think he grasped what The Sandman is about really, really well. Um, and I, he took some some... He took the story in some places that I was not necessarily expecting because... 
first off, The Sandman, if you don't know anything about it, it's this groundbreaking series of graphic novels. But what the story really is about is it's about this character who's named Dream. Um, and he is one of like, they're not really gods, but, uh, his siblings are, you know, he, he's an immortal and he presides over the human world as he's presided over many worlds in the past, uh, with living beings on them. But he is responsible for building their dreams, whether it be dreams or nightmares. Uh, he is the one that puts the dream world together that everyone goes to when they sleep. So it's a big job that he's got on his hands. Uh, and his siblings are death and desire, uh, among others. And it's just a, um, you know, it's a group, a really interesting group of, of personifications of these kind of timeless, you know, mythological forces that rule, you know, humanity and uh, Gaiman brings them to the page and now they've been brought to the screen. Uh, and, and so Dream himself, he's kind of a, I mean, he, he looks like a very gothy Tim Burton-esque kind of character, always wearing black. You know, he's got the black hair. He's got the very pale features. Gaiman's British. So, um, uh, you know, Dream is is played as a British guy as well. And that's just the kind of character he is. He's got just that kind of mopey look to him, but he's not a mopey figure and he's not a character that is ever boring to watch. Um, but he is completely kind of unexpected. I feel like as the lead of what you would think of as maybe an action sci-fi series, but it's not even really that it's hard to quantify, um, the Sandman. It's more of a fantasy kind of thing. Um, but there really isn't a ton of action in it. Um, but what this first season is kind of about, and it follows the kind of first collection of stories of the Sandman pretty closely, uh, or what you think it's going to be about anyway, is in the very first episode, Dream is is captured, kidnapped um, somehow uh, by someone who's gone through a lot of planning, uh, by a human who's gone through a lot of planning and who is very practiced in the dark arts. And they are able to capture him for uh, centuries, basically. It's like decade upon decade. It's a long time. Uh, I don't think it's centuries. I want to say it's about 100 years or so. Uh, but a lot of time passes. And in this time, uh, the the fact that Dream is missing means that sleep is basically wrecked. Like there are people who fall, who were, were asleep when it happened who don't wake up for that entire period. And there are people who cannot sleep for that entire period. So it causes a lot of problems for the human world. Um, also, this one guy can kind of try to harness Dream's power and make himself immortal using the tools that Dream carries around in order to do his job. So anyway, the the it's kind of about, you know, how is he going to get out of this situation? Then how is he going to get his tools back once he does get out of this situation? And that's kind of all set up and, and everything in the pilot. Um, and there are forces in his way, including his own siblings and characters like Lucifer who come in and play important parts in this. So it's a lot of these mythological figures that play parts in this, but uh, dream is usually spending a lot of time in the human world amongst humans. Um, and that's where kind of a, a lot of the interest comes from in the Sandman and the casting though, Tom Sturridge plays dream in this show. And I got to say perfection, some of the best casting I've ever seen. I wasn't familiar with Tom Sturridge before this, but it's like he was born to play this role. There is absolutely nothing slick about him. And that is what you want from this character. He is not 
the kind of character that you're going to put a, put on a TV promo or on a poster and people are going to be like wrecking their cars to see this guy because he's so attractive and he's so yeah but not to say that he's not because I'm sure he's got fans out there that are just you know drooling every time he's on screen but that's not like he doesn't ooze sex appeal and he doesn't ooze confidence and he doesn't he's not slick like I said which is such a departure from the lead in a lot of these kind of shows but he's got such power that he can command at any time as an actor just from a change in his eyes and we see that you know, almost in every episode of this show, he just is frightening when he wants to be. And I just thought that his casting was flawless. And it's such a, it's like arguably the most important thing about this entire show, because he is the Sandman. He is going to carry the action throughout this whole deal. And so it starts there. And I think Tom Sturridge was, was perfect. I don't see how you could have cast this role any better. He He's kept me engaged the entire time. Also, I was blown away by Jenna Coleman, who I was not familiar with her. But anybody who's seen uh, Victoria or Doctor Who probably knows Jenna Coleman, fans of British television. She's a British actor. And honestly, I'm going to bare my soul here and say I think I fell in love with her from the first minute she was on screen in this show uh, because she just has something about her. She just oozes charm, charisma, Attitude. It's like all the things that Tom Sturridge's dream does not have. Jenna Coleman brings in spades. And I was just like, I would have done anything this woman asked um, seeing her on screen. I just like I said, I fell in love with her from the first minute. And she who she plays in the show is Constantine, who you might be familiar with as a character in uh, uh, in the DC universe. Kind of like a demon hunter, always wearing the white suit. Uh, Keanu Reeves brought him to the screen a long time ago, mid-2000s, and not a very good movie. But Constantine is kind of a, um, a, a friend, I guess, if you want to say, a colleague of dreams at times, someone that he uses. And Constantine's been played by a man, but uh, in this case, they have Jenna Coleman play the role. And I just thought she was fantastic in the show they always call her constantine because of their british accents so it's hard for me not to say constantine uh, but uh jenna coleman is constantine brilliant give her an emmy please it just like i said attitude and charisma for days and then gwendolyn christie who i've always been a fan of speaking of game of thrones uh playing lucifer was another nice touch of all the actors you could have cast as lucifer gwendolyn christie would not have been the first person i would have thought of but once i saw her in the role i was like yeah i get it it's a great great pick also want to give a shout out to uh kirby howell baptiste Another actor I was not familiar with, but she plays Death, the sibling of uh, Dream. And it's one of my favorite portrayals I've ever seen of the personification of Death on screen because it goes against all the type, all the central casting, you know, kind of cliches that you would think when it's like, let's sit down and cast someone as Death. Um, Casting this kind of lively, beautiful kind woman in the role is not what I would have thought to do, but it works perfectly and leads to some of the best moments in the entire first season. Oh, forgive me. I, I am Harry. I know you are, Harry. Do you know who I am? No. Not yet, please. It's time. 
And really, this whole first season starts, as all shows do, with the pilot. And in this case, we get a stellar pilot. I dare you to watch the Sandman pilot on Netflix and not be interested in where this show is going to go because it shows you so many things that are going to hook you uh, and make you get into the universe of this show and just wonder where this story is going to take you. And it's going to take you in a lot of different directions. It's not clear right from the start where this show is going to go. And it ends up being unexpected. Uh, this series follows multiple arcs over the course of its first se- over the course of its first season, which I did not expect because you think you know the story it's going to tell after the first couple episodes. You think you know what direction this is going to go, but that all gets kind of wrapped up quickly, and then we're left to wonder where are we going to go for like these last eight episodes of this season, and yet there's plenty still left to tell. Uh, in the Sandman universe, even in this first just chapter of the Sandman universe. And as I said, uh, David S. Goyer, who is really the driving force, uh, I guess, in the writer's room behind this show, I think he just really grasped grasped what the Sandman is about, and he grasped the tone, which is is a tone that opts more for positivity more often than not, which is not something that you would necessarily expect. Uh from looking at the promo materials of this show, you might expect a cynical show, um, a, a show that really just wants to be grim, dark all the time. And that's not what the Sandman is about. It would have been so easy to shift into cynicism for the whole deal. And that's a lot of what we're getting with game of Thrones and with house of the dragon. It's like cynical TV does do well with critics and it does do well with viewers at this point. But The Sandman is not a show that goes for that. It opts for positivity most of the time, and that is hard to to wrap your head around when it's a show that is dealing in trafficking in such mature themes. It's got such gruesome stuff in it, and it's got, again, such adult uh, you know storytelling devices being used in it. For it to go for positivity a lot of times and in hope is... It feels weird, but it works. And in the case of this, it was a breath of fresh air to me. Dream and his siblings ultimately have to believe the best in humanity or their jobs on Earth are going to be pointless. And these are characters that need to be driven to succeed. They're not just they're not just benevolent. It's like they need that drive. They need to, it's just like any of us doing a job where they need to feel they're getting something out of it. They need to feel some passion for it, which is cool because we don't see that often done with characters that we expect to just play their part because they're these immortals who have a, a, a force, a, a definite driving force in the universe. They don't care about that most of the time. They want to care about what they're doing. And that comes through in characters like Death and in Dream. Especially, I thought the writing in the first season of this show, I, I thought it was beautiful in points, honestly. And I was almost moved to tears during my favorite episode of the season, which was one called The Sound of Her Wings. And uh, I, again, I, I just thought that was tremendous storytelling all the way through. Absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous. Made me feel better than a piece of media has about being alive in this world than something has in a long time. Uh, and that's a lot to say about a Netflix show that's driven largely by special effects and CGI. Um, the 24-hour diner episode did let me down a little bit, only because the book that that is based on is unforgettable. And I remember reading that story, the 24-hour diner story um, in the Sandman books, 
and thinking like, oh my God, this would make such a brilliant horror movie because it's so horrifying and sad and scary just in the span of, you know, however many pages that story is like 40 pages or something. It's amazing what game is able to do there. Uh, so I couldn't wait to watch that episode because I knew that story so well. Uh, but it let me down a little bit. It wasn't as good, as powerful as it came off on the page. But that's only because, again, the book is so unforgettable there. I think it was totally fine on the, on the show. I think they did it justice. But it wasn't like as as transformative as I thought maybe it was going to be going in. But the episode The Sound of Her Wings was that way for me. It was better than anything uh, that was in the, the books, I feel like, about that story. So for what that's worth, uh, I was just really impressed and really optimistic about the future of this show. Because The Sandman is something that people had been trying to turn into a movie or a TV show for like decades i mean it was one of those it was considered unfilmable basically and here it is it's on netflix and they did a really nice job with it or at least they did for the first season and so much of that goes back to tom sturridge he just carries the lead role perfectly i bought him all the way through i thought the special effects looked fantastic looked as good as anything i've seen on netflix rivaled anything on stranger things which is the show that's got you know the best budget of any Netflix show, uh, it seemed like they really cared about this. So I'm I, I'm happy about that. As someone who had a little bit of fandom of the Sandman and me, I'm happy about that. And I think if you don't know anything about the Sandman, you'll you will like this show because it's not built for just people who've read the books. And the, this adaptation has pissed off plenty of those so-called people who read the books and were calling themselves fans, but now like hate the show because of casting decisions and stuff like that. Forced diversity or whatever they say, stupid complaints that have nothing to do with the actual content, but just about the optics of it. Um, so give it a watch. If you are even on the fence, if you've had it on your list, you know, don't keep it sitting anymore. Watch the Sandman. It's a really, really solid piece of storytelling on TV. It does have, um, a decent amount of episodes for a Netflix first season. So, you know, it might take you some time to get through it. I wouldn't say it's one that you're going to burn through in a weekend. It's kind of heavy and there is a, there are a lot of stories happening, but I think you'll be hooked when you watch the pilot. Cause it's a really tremendous pilot and it's got great actors all the way through it in the supporting roles. So check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. The Sandman, the whole first season streaming right now on Netflix. I was a big fan. I loved it. I cannot ask the fates for help without giving them something in return. There is nothing left to give from the dreaming. I have to gather my offerings from the dreams of others. I understand. It's just that in your absence, these waters have become darker, treacherous, unsafe. These waters are as much a part of me as I am of them. Gregory's sacrifice will not be in vain. I like the Sandman much more than I liked the uh, uh, the Witcher adaptation on Netflix, which is still going on. I maybe I need to give that another shot, but uh, I've tried a few episodes into it, and I just could not. 
just talk about a pilot that did not grab me at all. That one was that one was really a slog for me to sit back down with at all. So, but maybe I, again, maybe I need to give it a little sh- another shot. I don't know, but Sandman, good stuff. All right, let me get into movies now for the rest of the episode and. I'm going to give you some streaming recommendations in just a minute, but first let me tell you about the best movie I watched this entire month. And I watched a few really good ones in October, but I'm going to give you one from 1994. It's Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures. This was the movie that really kind of made Peter Jackson, it put him in the mainstream consciousness um, and put him on Hollywood's radar. I mean, he was really known more for doing like gross out, crazy monster horror movies in New Zealand. And then he does Heavenly Creatures, a character study drama about one of the most famous, infamous murders uh, in the history of New Zealand. I mean, it's like a legendary story over there in a, a country that is not known for having many uh, crazy murders. It's not like the United States where they happen every single week. So it's a, it's a very well-known story over there, but he turns it into a movie. It's about these two young teenage girls who decide to kill the mother of one of them so that they can basically go off and continue their lives together. And I was just enthralled with heavenly creatures from the very first minutes, which are so bizarre and reminded me so much of like a David Lynch film. Seeing Peter Jackson channel David Lynch was bizarre, but also very cool. And this movie is much more accessible than Lynch's kind of stuff is. So don't worry about that. Um, But Heavenly Creatures just, to me, tackled all the messiness of the teenage mind. You remember being a teenager, and it's just messy. Everything's messy. Everything's cranked up to 11, and it's all depicted in technicolor detail in this film. Uh, Kate Winslet makes her her debut in this movie uh, as one of the stars. Melanie Linsky makes her debut as well, and both of them are just phenomenal. There's so much sexual tension between them. And it's almost uncomfortable, honestly, given the ages of both of them, because at the time they were both like under, I think they were 16, 17 years old when they made this movie. So they were legitimate teenagers. Um, and to see these characters be, you know, kind of have this much sexual tension between them is a little weird, but it also feels right it, given the story and the way that uh, Jackson decides to tell the story. But I love the film. All the hallmarks of what makes Peter Jackson maybe the most main, the best mainstream filmmaker of his entire generation, I would say. All the experimentation, the sense of humor, the playfulness, uh, the, the beautiful cinematography, the great use of the land. Uh, there are some, uh, some gorgeous shots that show off New Zealand again here. It's not just in Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's not just in King Kong, it's here in a little character drama as well, but it's just, Jackson just, he's a singular filmmaker, and movies like Heavenly Creatures are a great reason why, because none of the, the big, like, none of the huge budget special effects are there, uh, but the storytelling is just so powerful, and he gets the characters so well, and he gets such great performances out of them. And he takes you for just such a ride. There are some great images in this movie and some things I just did not expect. So Heavenly Creatures, very cool movie. It had been on my list for a long time and it lived up to all of my expectations for it. And then some. Unfortunately, right now it's not streaming, but keep a lookout for it 
um, to, to find out maybe when it is or pick it up on uh, DVD if you see it out somewhere. I don't think you'll, you'll regret spending five bucks for it uh, at Half Price Books. But let's get to some movies that are streaming since this is the Stream Police podcast, I suppose. Uh, a couple movies on Netflix, a couple on Prime Video, Hulu, and HBO Max. Usually I like to give you something light and something dark to appease your tastes. So let's go with something light on Netflix first. From 1991, they don't come a whole lot lighter than this. Billy Crystal and Bruno Kirby and Jack Palance riding high in City Slickers. To me, maybe the ultimate early 1990s um, you know, comedy because it just shows off the innocence and, again, playfulness of that period, um, that pre-9-11 period when movies like this could be made with no sense of irony whatsoever, just a rollicking good time with some fun music and some buddies going out on the ranch. Daniel Stern, too. How could I forget to mention him when I was naming all those actors? It's just a cool fucking movie i never get tired of city slickers it's it's billy crystal at his absolute best and rest in peace to the great bruno kirby something dark for you on netflix uh i'm gonna actually give you two because i could not pick between these two risky business very dark very stylish very sexy and almost scary as well tom cruise rebecca de mornay they just burn up the screen uh, with their sexual tension. And I'm going to give you Any Given Sunday. Maybe the last great movie that Oliver Stone did. Uh, and great might even be a str- I don't know if Any Given Sunday is even a great movie. It's very good though. And it's kind of unforgettable. It's so ridiculous and over the top. And it just, with all the conversations about the NFL and pro football and the evils in that game, uh, I think Any Given Sunday is a movie that's only gotten more important as it's aged. So check it out on Netflix as well. Because uh, that movie's just got attitude for days. Great football movie. On Prime Video, something light for you. I'm going to give you the great and underrated Monster House from the mid-2000s. One of the better animated uh, Halloween movies that you're going to find. One of the better Halloween movies that you can watch with kids uh, as well. And it's just a, it's got a good story. It's got good characters. It's got some little scares in it, some light scares. And it's funny, and uh, it's just a, a well-done animated uh, Halloween movie, and those are pretty few and far between, honestly. We don't get one every single year, so check out Monster House streaming on Prime Video. Something very dark for you on Prime Video, 2001's Hannibal, the uh, sequel to The Silence of the Lambs. And in this one, uh, you don't get Jodie Foster. She didn't want to come back and play Clarice Starling again, so instead... They went with Julianne Moore, who is, you know, in my opinion, maybe one of the great actors in history. No question one of the great actors in history. Pro- I mean, one of my probably three favorite women actors in history as well. I mean, I just Julianne Moore, she can do no wrong uh, for me. And she's awesome as Clarice Starling. Is she as good as Jodie Foster? I don't know. It's a totally different take on the character. She does not try to play it like Jodie Foster did. So it's a little jarring if you watch the movies back to back, but if you take it on its own, and I think you can do that. Hannibal is a really eerie and kind of campy, but also scary movie. It's got some gross shit in it. And it's just more of kind of what makes Hannibal Lecter such a, uh, such a compelling character and um, 
Anthony Hopkins digging into that part once once more and digging into some other things as well. It's streaming now on Prime Video. Gary Oldman also is really creepy in this movie uh, with some heavy uh, prosthetics on. And, whew, man, I mean, he's totally unrecognizable. You wouldn't even know it was Gary Oldman unless I told you right here, honestly, unless you did some reading. Because I don't even think his name is mentioned in the credits. All right, let's go to Hulu here. Something light for you on Hulu. It's not even really that light, honestly. 2012's Looper. It's I, The only reason I put it in the light category is because it's kind of more fun to watch because it's just a big action sci-fi movie. Got some time travel elements in it, but it's really a pretty heavy movie. It's really, really well done. Ryan Johnson, uh, who directed, you know, The Last Jedi, uh, he's he's a really strong filmmaker, and I think uh, this was the kind of movie that put him on the map. And, you know, as we're all kind of remembering Bruce Willis's career since he's really stepped away from acting now, uh, Looper is one of those that's going to go down as one of the last really good, essential Bruce Willis movies. He's He's fantastic in it. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is very good in it as well uh, as they play the same character just at different periods in life but meeting each other uh, because of, well, it's 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 complicated to get into. But the story's cool and it's, a, it's an interesting sci-fi, original piece of sci-fi filmmaking. Those don't come along very often, not based on a book, just right for the screen. And it's a, it's a cool, satisfying film. Looper, streaming now on Hulu and something dark for you on Hulu, the hand that rocks the cradle from 1992. I'm going to give you even more Rebecca de Mornay, uh, here playing a very different part than she did in risky business. This movie is like one of my campy favorites. It's so soapy and over the top, uh, but also eerie and just weird, um, and creepy. And there's so many parts in this movie that just make you squirm that I love it. The hand that rocks the cradle goes back a long way for me. Uh, my mom rented it from the video store when I was younger. And I can't believe she showed me that movie when I was as young as I was. Cause it really did freak me out and it kind of gave me nightmares. But now that I've kind of grown up and understood it a little bit more, I'm so glad she did because it's just a, that's a great movie watching memory for me. And it's a, it's really kind of a funny movie as much as it is a creepy one. So the hand that rocks the cradle, check that early nineties thriller out in the same vein as like the good son. If you've ever seen that, I think if you like the good son at all, you will like the hand that rocks the cradle. Those two movies kind of go hand in hand, if you will. And on HBO Max, uh, a couple for you. How about something light there? I'll go with 1995's The American President, Aaron Sorkin, Rob Reiner teaming up with each other again um, for a beautiful movie, really tremendously well acted uh, between Annette Bening and the great Michael Douglas. Uh, And Michael Douglas, I think I've said it before on this show, maybe my favorite movie president ever is the, the character he plays in uh, the American president. It's just a, a part that we would all just wish our president would could potentially be that way. And if you like the West Wing at all, the American president can be seen as a kind of precursor to that because you get Martin Sheen playing a chief of staff kind of character here. Um, and you get a, a, a tone and a type of dialogue that's very similar to the West Wing. And, um, you know, this is, again, it's Sorkin. It's right before he did the West Wing. So it, it can easily be seen as like the, the forerunner to the West Wing. And it's a very good movie. It's streaming right now on HBO Max, The American President. 
And Something Dark for you from 2001. I'm going to give you Along Came a Spider. This is kind of an overlooked thriller with Morgan Freeman and Monica Potter. Remember Monica Potter? I feel like you never see her in anything anymore. Um, they're carrying this movie. It's a it's a murder mystery kind of thing. It's an Alex Cross film, and it's uh, better than it really has any right to be. It's got a nice mystery to it and pulls you along as these kind of page-turning movies do. Um, and, and tries to set you up with some, with a, a twist ending at the end, but it's, it's just a really cool stylish movie. I like Along Came a Spider, always have. I remember seeing it in theaters when it was out and, uh, there was something about it that just intrigued me. And when I rewatched it years later, I still thought it was really a pretty good movie, especially for a just studio blockbuster popcorn thriller. Very good stuff. Along Came a Spider from 2001 on HBO Max. So there you go. If you missed any of those, check me out on Letterboxd at Mr. Clint Davis. And you'll see all my recommendations from this month's episode of The Stream Police. And you'll also see every movie that I watch. I review it right there. Just check my diary and you'll see all my reviews. And you can comment. You can like. You can Whatever. You can reach me on there however you want to. And you can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Mr. Clint Davis. You can find me on YouTube at Overdue Review. And you can email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. You can find Andy on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. And you can reach him on email at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. If you want to talk music with him, he'd love to get any of your messages. Maybe you want to write him with your hot takes about Taylor Swift's Midnight's. Uh, which I have already listened to all the way in its entirety and will be continuing to do so. Uh, and I may or may not have bought a pair of socks with, uh, the, with the words Taylor Swift Midnight uh, Midnight's on them, but I'm, I'm not sure if I have done that or not. I just want to put that out there. Anyway, uh, it's been fun talking with you again, my friend. Until next time, uh, I hope you, you be safe out there. Have a great Halloween and stream on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.